Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. To be in the presence of the Lord. So glad to be here. There's more miles on my body than there was last time I was here. I guarantee you that. Amen. But we're glad to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. On Wednesday night Bible study. Hallelujah. We're going to be turning to the book of 2 Peter. I bet that was a surprise to everybody. 2 Peter. Amen. We'll be in chapter number one uh, here this evening. Thankful for everybody's prayers as we were gone, and I trust everything went well here. I got some catching up to do on podcasts and things like that. Amen, but I'll get to it. That's what I, I have the awesome uh, ability of playing those guys. I can listen about one and a half times fast. If I get two times, sometimes you miss stuff. So about one and a half times fast, I can listen to them. Amen, and so uh, it makes life go quicker. Amen, and so I can listen quick because I can talk quick. So I can listen quick. Amen. Amen. That's right. After all these years, Sister McGee would off on me. I can listen and talk quick. Hallelujah. Yeah, we had five repent, three get the Holy Ghost. That just goes to show you the type of strong wall that there was. But being that there were several that didn't even know anything about church, uh, that's a that's a big thing. We stayed in we stayed in three different hotels while we was gone. We, we flew into Denver, we drove four hours to the Lust, then we did two more hours north, drove about seven hours back south for our flight, two hours home, two and a half hours. I got, we got home at, to Brother Terry at quarter after three Monday morning. So whenever we crawled in bed, and then uh, I tagged myself as I went to sleep, getting up to get the kids off to school. And so it was just tremendous. And then I came back home and I passed out. As a matter of fact, I woke, I, I, my alarm went off, I must have subconsciously turned it off. Around 7.30, my eyes went open. I'm like, oh, my goodness, i got to get the kids ready. That's late, folks, 7.30. I mean, that's, that's not normal. But sis was already ready. I said, why didn't you wake me up? She said, I just got up myself. <laughs> so, amen, it is what it is. Second Peter, we weren't late. They weren't late. Nobody was late. We, how, yeah, miracles can happen. Second Peter 1 and verse 5. Starting tonight, Second Peter 1 and verse 5. If you remember where we left off last week, we're just continuing this week. And beside this, we've been talking about, just for a, a little clarification or, or bringing this up to speed, we were talking about last week his divine power and divine nature, how his divine power enables us to uh, emulate or, or acquire his divine nature. And when we have that, we have escaped from uh, the, the corruption that is in this world that's caused by lust. And so he says then in verse 5, and, besides, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. There's just a nice little ebb and flow here. And to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Amen. So we want to look at this. Amen. This evening, I'm going to for entitling or titling purposes tonight. I call this tonight God's part, our part, God's part and our part. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you tonight. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you're mindful, Lord, of us. God, you know us, Lord Jesus, God, at the very core of who and what we are. 
I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, open up our minds, Lord, to the Spirit. God, let the Holy Ghost have its perfect way in this place. God, let it be more than just information that's divulged, but let the Spirit of the Holy Ghost touch us afresh. God, and anew, Lord, by the Holy Ghost, God will not fail, Lord, to thank you and praise you and glorify your heavenly name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We appreciate you. God, we appreciate you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated tonight. In Jesus' name, God's part, our part. God's part, our part. Just kind of get our feet wet in here this evening. Peter is providing for us, verses 5 through 7, he's providing for us a list of, of virtues or qualities, if you would want to call them that. Virtues or qualities that should be or may be found in the Christian life. And this, this concept of Peter making the list, this was, he's doing this with purpose because of his culture and age, of, of the Roman and the Hellenistic age. It was common for writers to make lists such as these of, of qualities or virtues uh, in a person's life. And so he's fallen right in alignment with that. Uh, no doubt the Spirit of the Holy Ghost said is inspiring him and is inspiring him to write to the audience of his age. And so he, he is writing this list of attributes and virtues and qualities. Normally in that era, whenever a person would write such lists, it was because those actions was found in the life of whomever they were writing them about. In other words, if they were writing about a person and said that they are, you know, patient and kind, it's because they have displayed patience and kindness, and so they write about them because they were played out in their life. But what Peter is relaying here is not so much that he's observed these in the people to whom he is writing, but he's observed these virtues of patience and, and knowledge and of faith. He's, he's viewed all these and observed these things in the lives of other Christians, and as a result of that, since these people, that's now his audience, have become Christians, he's expecting the same virtues to come to the surface, the same qualities to come to the surface. Because in reality, what? We all have the same origin, don't we, as Christians? There is only one divine nature. It's not like, well, there's the divine nature for Mount Carmel, there's a different divine nature for Peru. You know, we all, there's only one divine nature. And so the characteristics that should float to the surface should harmonize with one another. Because there is only one divine nature. And so Peter has recognized in other Christians what has come forth in their life. And he's expecting, expecting the same from his, his readers. The order, whenever you look at the order of these particular qualities that are listed in verses 3 or 5 rather through 7. Uh, it may or may not be significant the order that these are in. It's kind of neat to look at the order they are in. We'll look at that a little bit later. It may or may not be significant. If you really wanted to, I think you could pull some significance out of it. Uh, it begins with faith. It ends with, with love in the list or charity as the climax, as that, that culminating of the list, if you will. And so I think there are some things you could derive from that. Uh, whenever we look at these things, this is not like there's only eight and no more. All right. We see a lot of that, a lot of that uh, many times in the scripture when lists are given. It's not that that's an exhaustive list, but that's a sample list, a sample list of some of the things. So if you've got a already made a list this week because you've read this and put check boxes besides where you're good and like, mm, I got all eight. Uh, there's probably some more we could add to the list. 
Peter is just wanting to give us a sampling of what's there. It's not exhaustive. But these are definitely things that should be found within our lives, within our Christian lives. And so Peter, in writing this, he's using a real literary device uh, in their grammar and time of the Greek uh, that was known as, and I'm not going to bore you all with this, but a little bit of it. Uh, it's known as a sorite, which means a ladder or gradation. You know how you would climb up a ladder and as you put your hand on one rung and one foot down here, you don't go to the next one without letting go of the one before that you have touched both. And so you see that a little bit in this little mode and flow of Scripture. You've seen how he talks about faith to virtue, virtue to knowledge. He, he doesn't talk about the next until he talked about the one before it. And there's this little ebb and flow. He re-mentions it. And it's all leading to what... Uh, in that day, that literary device was for that climax, that love that we were talking about that is the final quality or virtue that is mentioned. But it kind of leans upon, that, that charity kind of leans upon all those that are before it. Uh, there is somewhat of a progression that takes place. And so for our purposes tonight, you may already be thinking, Brother McGee, it's kind of contradictory really whenever we did our lesson last week to come to this lesson this week because Peter's telling his, his readers to add to their faith virtue. And last week, Brother McGee, you taught us that this divine power that we have has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So which is it? Because if it's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, then why in the world then are we being admonished? As readers, to add then to our faith, virtue, to virtue, so on and so forth. Why, why is there addition process that's taking place? And so you may want to argue with me tonight. Please don't do it right now. But uh, you may want to argue with me that what more needs to be done since we've been given this divine power that's produced a divine nature and we've been given all things for, for life and godliness. Well, I'd like to tell you this this evening for my explanation. There are basically two parts, and it's my title tonight. There are basically two parts to our experience. God's part and our part. God's part and our part. And our part in this experience is only capable because God had a part. Amen. And the only reason that we're capable of, quote, unquote, and we'll get into this word, the only reason we're capable of adding uh, in these verses is because we have been given all things in verse number three. As a matter of fact, whenever we look at it, these life qualities or these virtues that we are adding are rooted and grounded in the grace. If you remember that grace that was multiplied, remember that grace that was multiplied in our lives because we lived out our new birth experience. It was more than just something that took place, but it's something that we daily practice, something that we daily play out in our lives. And so as a result of that, all of those qualities is rooted and grounded in that grace that's been multiplied in our life. It's all rooted and grounded in that power, all rooted and grounded in that divine nature. And what happens is this, God's divine nature in our lives enables us to live out our lives according to his divine nature. So it's kind of like this. Whenever you receive the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost, you receive the virtue and the knowledge and the patience. It's all encapsulated in that. But we grow in that. That's our responsibility. It's been given. It's been provided. That was God's part. But our part is the unpackaging, if you will. The, the outgrowth of that in our life. Uh, John Butler said it like this. He said, growth cannot come unless a birth has taken place. That's true. 
Some people try to live a Christian life without having the Christian birth. And they're frustrated. They can't get all those other things in the list because they've not had the birth. Well, you can't have growth unless you had the birth. And so it does take God's part first in order for us to have our part. But that does not mean our part is not necessary for success. Because it is. I can give you tonight, if I were to have brought it in, maybe I should have. But I could give you this evening, Brother Pat, I could give you all of the ingredients to make a cake. I could give him, Brother Terry, I could give you all the ingredients to make a cake. But you'll still, you'll still be without a cake. Although I've given you all the ingredients to make the cake. Unless you're diligent to take the proper proportions, mix them together. Place it in the pan, put it in the oven at the prescribed temperature it needs to be at for a period of time that it needs to take place. You have all the makings of a cake. I could give you that. That's my part. But you mixing this with that, proportion with that, that's your part in order for there to be a. You understand what I'm saying? And so, so it takes God's part and our part. We get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and that's wonderful, and I'm thankful for it. But we, through development, must add to our experience. It's not that it's not there, but we need to allow that to surface or surrender and submit to those other things in our life that's uh, tongue and groove with the Holy Ghost. It's like the Holy Ghost has a lot of latchkey kids. The Holy Ghost comes and there's virtue and patience and long-suffering and kindness and gentleness and all that on its coattail. But we kind of help unearth that, those mentioned qualities. We kind of help unearth that by, quote-unquote, as the, the writer says here, adding to. And we'll look at that here in just a little bit. And so we got, though, to give, as the Scripture says, we got to give diligence to cultivate those things in our life. All right? Diligence to cultivate those things in our life. And so there's God's part and our part. Psalms 127 and verse number one states these words. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Look at that. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman walketh but in vain. It's interesting because there's people laboring, right? But he says it's in vain unless the Lord builds the house. It's as though the Lord builds and we build. It's although the Lord keeps the watch and the watchman keeps the watch. But the watchman keep the watch is in vain unless the Lord has his part. So the Lord must have his part. But it cannot go unsaid that we have our part too. It's not just the Lord builds the house and we sit back and prop up our feet and say, well, doing a great job, God, building a building, working on a building. Like God, Hallelujah, I'm going to be a great, great, great Christian in the Lord because he's doing it. He did it so we could do it. It's his part and our part. What did the Bible say? This is a scripture we all love and adore. Of Philippians 3 and verse or 4, 13 rather. I can do what? Through what? Which strengtheneth me. Huh? I can add virtue to my faith because he's done his part. I, I, I can add temperance to whatever it is here in the scripture that I'm supposed to add temperance to, to knowledge, because he's done his part. I can do my part because he's done his part. But that doesn't mean just because he's done his part, I leave my part out. Because if so, I'll just be at a stalemate. And these things need to, these qualities need to surface in our life. And so these qualities, whatever you wish to call them, they are, again, the outworking of the divine nature that we receive through the power of the Holy Ghost, which the Bible said, Peter said, you have been made partakers of. 
It is, as the scripture says, you work out your own salvation. <gasps> now you say that in some places of the days where I'm going, oh my goodness, we're talking about, that's a salvation of works you're talking about. Oh my man, yeah, man. It's, not, it's not of works, listen to me, Shabos, right? It's the gift of God. But when you read Philippians 2 and verse 12, where that phrase is found, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, look at it. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now more, much more in my absence, the apostle is saying, this is his admonition. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And many times we stop. Don't stop. Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What Paul's saying, Paul says, we can work, and this is my created word for tonight, we can work some salvational. That's my, that's my word for tonight, okay. It's not real according to my knowledge, but it is in my book. We can work some salvational items out in our life because God is working in our life to will and do according to whatever pleases God. So what Peter is doing, Peter is calling really in, in, in this series, Peter is calling all, to, all of his readers to a godly life because Christ has given them everything for a godly life. And he's working in them to accomplish if they'll allow it. The power you have to receive is a power to make you a totally new creature in Christ Jesus with new habits, new talks, new ways of disposition. All of that is contained in there. But there's one thing God has never done from the creation of time, and that is usurp an individual's will. And so you help in the addition by submitting your will to his will. Because it's God in you working his will to do his good pleasure in your life. And so what this means then, since this is the case, that's the reason why when I stand before God someday on judgment day, I'm truly without excuse. Because he's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. Mm -hmm. And my submission to that has allowed me to add Everything that was contained in that spirit that I received allowed that to flourish, allowed that to come to the surface, allowed that to be displayed in my everyday life. So that's how I stand before him without excuse because he's given me all the tools. I just got to put the tool in the hand, so to speak. And so the, the scripture says, here it is, we work out our salvation. Here it is again, because God is at work in us through our new birth or our Holy Ghost experience. And so, here's the concept of the idea. We're exposing ourselves to the nature of God that we've received by the power of His Spirit. And whenever you spend time, listen to me very clearly, whenever you spend time with God or whatever, let's say it like this, whatever you spend time with, that's what you'll become like. That's a biblical principle. Whatever you spend time with, that's what you'll become like. It can be a whatever or a whoever. Whatever, whoever you spend time with, that is what you will become like. Like, and so when you constantly are, are exposing yourself to the divine nature that you have inside of you, you know what's going to happen? Your practice, your way of living is going to become like him. Amen. It's what you expose yourself to. It's what you spend time with. If all you ever spend your time with is television, that's what you're going to become like, whatever you watch. 
If all you spend your time with is a certain genre of books, let's say it's smut, then that's what you're going to become like. It's a biblical principle. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 20, here's the principle. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. You know what he's saying? Whoever you spend time with, that's what you're going to become like. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And so our purpose is that spirit that we receive, that divine nature that's trying to grow in our life, we want to submit, expose ourselves to that. Why? So that we'll reflect the divine nature supposedly that we have received. Mm-hmm. And that it will be carried out into our lives. So what do we have? God's part and. Hey, y'all catching on. Amen. Feel like a success already. Let's go home. God's part and our part. God's part. He gave us all things. Look at it in scripture now in our scripture setting. Our part. Now we must give diligence. He gave all things, but we got to give diligence to these things. Barclay stated like this, the translation of the Bible, Barclay translation, says it like this, that verse number five, just the first part of it, bend all your energy to the task. Give diligence. The New Living Bible says it like this, translation, so make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Phillips translation says it like this, I like this. For for this reason, you must do your utmost from your side. What's he saying? You got to do your best on your part. you got to do your best, your utmost from your side. William Hill, he said, diligence implies more than mere earnest desire. He said, but includes action as well as a desire. So we're not just talking about a want to. We're talking about a want to that becomes a doing. He says, diligence never takes 20 minutes to do a 10-minute job. I like that. Diligence never takes 20 minutes to do a 10-minute job. What it means is this. Diligence means to bring all your energy to bear. Its original meaning lends to the idea or the concept to make haste. In other words, don't delay. Boy, this is important for us. This is important for Christians. When Peter is telling them, you're going to add to your faith virtue all this list of this addition of that taking place in their part. You know what he's saying? Don't delay in doing that. Don't be slothful in doing that. Don't procrastinate in doing that. Don't be whistling down the road and saying, well, I have all day and years of my... No, no. He said, don't be delaying. You need to make haste. You need to be diligent. That word diligent, it is the same word that was used whenever Herodias rushed into the court of Herod and said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. It was that hastening. It's the same word that was used whenever Paul spoke to Timothy and said, Timothy, I want you to make haste and come before winter. It's talking about being quick. It's talking about being swift. It's talking about not wasting time. And so whenever we talk about being diligent with these things uh, outcropping and coming to the surface in our lives from the divine nature that we have had, we're talking about a continuous effort. We're not talking about taking a vacation. And I'm not talking about in the real world, but I'm talking in the spirit. He's not talking about taking vacation or taking a weekend off. He says you got to be diligent about this. He says you can't allow any hindrances to come in and entangle your feet in doing what you need to be doing concerning your progression in Christianhood. That's important. That's important. Because one's effort to grow is really then tied to their diligence. It's tied to the desire to grow and to actually do it. So it's easy to get infatuated with an idea. Amen. Or a concept. It's a whole other thing to put, as they say, the, 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 you know, the old 
shoulder to the grindstone. And I've shared this with you all before, but with, coupling with the, 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 the information or the knowledge that we learn from this scripture, I've shared with you before uh, in Corinthians how the Bible says, you know, we put on the new man, take off the old man, put on the new man. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And we have constantly spoke about that word become new. And we told you how that word become indicates a process. It indicates a process. And your becoming process might be different from your neighbor's becoming process. It is a process. However, please listen tonight. However, coupling that with what Peter is saying here in Scripture, that tells me that this becoming process, it cannot be something that's going to take forever. The becoming process must be done with haste as it applies to us. We got to be diligent. Because there is too much mentality out there on this concept and idea of deathbed repentance. And that is great if it's necessary. But it's one thing if you flunked around your whole life not being diligent. So this becoming process has got to be done with haste as it applies to us. There shouldn't be no uh, dawdling around. Mm -hmm. Not just be putting off just for putting off sake. Now I understand there are certain junctures in the road, perhaps in the list. Maybe it would be a little bit hard for patience for some of us. There might be some bumps in the road. But a bump in the road doesn't need to become a mountain on the landscape. All right? Amen. So we we, we got to be continuous in our effort. That's, someone say, that's my part. That's my part. The Bible says in Hebrews 6 and verse 11 and 12. And we desire, the writer says, that every one of you do shew the same. Everybody say the same. Do shew the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Wait a minute. What's he saying? He's saying the diligence that you started the race with is the diligence we want you to finish with. Hmm. The, the, what, what, the same to the full assurance of the hope in the end, verse 12, that ye be not, here, he, here he's really kind of details what he's talking about, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He says, you're walking a path that many has walked before you. They did the addition. <laughs> he says, you can do the addition. They did their part. You can do your part because I've done my part. Hey, man. And so this this diligence, this effort, this haste must be maintained until the end. Are there times, though, that we're going to be a little? Absolutely. There's going to be times along the way that we are not quite as diligent as others. That's the reason why he wrote this. Right. He knew the propensity of humanity. He knew the nature of mankind. There are going to be some times we're going to become little, you know, we're going to be skipping out on diligence. We're going to be playing hooky on diligence, right? It's not going to be as intense as it was there. That's the reason why he admonishes keep the same. He knows it's going to vacillate, but if he can put it in the back of our minds, man, I need to keep my same stride. I got to keep my same stride in this race that perhaps we'll be more uh, apt to, you know, make it to the end than not make it to the end. And so when we look here, if you look at this, this diligence word, there appears to be a connection. Between the diligence that's in verse number five, giving all diligence to all these list of things that we're going to look at. And then in verse number 10, it comes up again 
Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. And it's like there's a connection between verse 5 and verse number 10. Like in verse number 10, we give diligence or we make haste. All right, we're earnest in our desire to make our calling and election sure. Here's how we do that. We're diligent to make our calling and election sure by being diligent what we do every day. With the addition list of faith and temperance and patience and charity in our lives. So here's the real deal. Our diligence today has eternal implications. We have a hard time really thinking sometimes that today has any influence on our tomorrow. But the fact of the matter is the diligence we serve in right now does have eternal implications in the future. We can't, we can't get tunnel vision. You know, tunnel vision is where you just see what's just around you. You got to see beyond that. You got to see the end of the tunnel. Amen. You got to see the end of the tunnel. And so we've been given, right, all things that pertain to life and godliness, bless God. And these things that we add, that we supply uh, from the, 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 the nature that's within us, they materialize as we are diligent. We says it like this when we concern the word add in verse number five. Beside all this, give all diligence, add. Add is a word that does not mean just simple addition, but it's a word that means this. This is, this is quite a meaty word. It means to supply in copious measure, to provide beyond the need, to supply more than generously. This is not a little dab do ad. <laughs> this is not an oily spot on your forehead ad. This is the whole horn of oil, you know what I'm saying? This is, this is providing beyond what is necessary, beyond what is needed generously. So when he's talking about add to your faith virtue, it's not like a little dab. No, you're going above and beyond in the virtuous mode whenever you add that to it. And according to this, according to the word of the Lord, our growth then should be by measures beyond I mean, it should just be like just elevating in, 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 in patience and elevating in self-control and just, just, I mean, heaping amounts. And yet, here is the condition for some in the church. In some, you can't even hardly detect some of these things. These are supposed to be in copious measures, abundant measures. Yet, in some, you can't even detect these things. And so, we got to check ourselves. Amen. Whether or not we are abiding in the faith, so to speak, concerning these things. Because some might look at it, well, is that because God's not done his part? Oh, far cry from it. It has nothing to do with God not doing his part. Absolutely not. I would dare to falter on the side that it's probably us that have not done our part. And nothing wrong with his divine nature. Nothing wrong with his power. Nothing wrong with his spirit. But whenever you put the human element in the equation, boy, things really get muddled. You know, one plus one always equals two until you put humanity in the middle of it and it equals zero. <laughs> you know, it, it really muddles things up. And so this word add, and I'm going to try this. I don't know if I can say this correctly. If not, just say bless him, Jesus. This word add in the Greek is epi harageo. All right. Those two words, epi means upon. Harageo means supply. Now. Haregeo, it's spelled C-H, not the way that it sounds, C-H-O-R-E-G-E-O. It, that word in the Greek gives us our English word, choreography. Choreography. 
which means the arrangement of movements. Just follow me here for a moment, okay? The arrangement of movements that the audience sees on stage. Here's what I want to denote concerning that. The movements that are taking place on the stage were not devised by the ones moving. Are you following me right here? Those movements were designed by a choreographer. All right? Which taught them those movements to the cast on the stage. Therefore, just follow me. What is seen by the audience from the cast on the stage has its origin from the choreographer. Everyone say, Amen. So when we talk about this adding faith to virtue, so and so forth, here's the thing. Those things that are displayed in the life of the Christian, that quote unquote, if I can parallel it here, those movements are not of their design. They're somebody else's design. And what everybody sees, that's not something they come up with. They just took the instruction of a divine nature. And they're displaying the movements. The faith, the virtue, the temperance, the... Yes, there is another aspect to this word add. There's another shade of meaning to this word harageo, which denotes a person in this era and time. They would have plays, back even in this age, they would have plays. Someone, a playwright who wrote the plays, and many times when they had that, they would have a section which required a chorus, a chorus of people or a chorus of music. Well, many times uh, money was just, just, you know, something you scratched around, tried to find and have some in your pocket. And so there wasn't a whole lot of money in this day. So a lot of these playwrights or these plays did not even go forward because of the lack of money to have the chorus of people or the chorus of musicians. Well, a haregeo would be a person that would come and underwrite the cost in order to have the course, the people or the music. Underwrite the course, costs even sometimes provide the equipment for it. And when that happens, this is what's taking place. That heregeo is in cooperation with the playwriter in order to give the production of the play that is before them. What are you talking about? His part, the playwriter. Our part, underwriting to bring forward what the playwriter is expecting. <laughs> and so whenever there's this addition taking place, again, we're not the author of the material, but we're just underwriting it so it can be displayed. Underwriting it for the enjoyment of everybody within the environment surrounding an atmosphere. And so when we do that in our personal lives, all of that nature that God has, what is it? He's not walk, Jesus isn't walking around in shoe leather anymore. Amen. He's not coming up to people and he that's seen me has seen the Father. No, you know how they see the divine nature now? Through you and me and you and you and you. We Hallelujah. We're displaying the author and the designer of the story with what we display in our lives. So it's amen. So as babes in Christ, we've been given, we've been given some steps, and we need to execute those steps. That's been offered and given to us. We've been given, if you will, a storyline. But we need to support it. That it might be fleshed out on this stage, quote unquote, of life where we live. Amen. Uh, in the English, it's stated in verse number five that we are adding to 
But in the Greek, it's really we are developing one while exercising the other. That's interesting. We're developing one while we're exercising the other one. In other words, whenever you read in verse 5, 6, and 7, you see at first it says, add to your faith virtue, and then it says, and to, and then it says, and to later, and then it says, and to. There's six times that it says, and to, and to, all right? Six times that's stated. In the Greek, it's actually, and in, meaning that you add to your faith virtue and in virtue knowledge. What is that? The developing of one while you're exercising the other. And in your, and in your per se, knowledge, temperance. And in your temperance, patience. While you're, ex- while you're exercising one, another one is being developed. So this means that there are these qualities that can be developed while we're exercising one of the other ones already. Growth in one area of your Christian experience many times helps growth in other areas of your Christian experience. This is not a linear path. You can grow in grace and righteousness and forget all that at the same time. I, I read this. I, I, don't, I don't remember the exact wording. I was trying to pick my brain today. But I remember reading in the book. But I think this, this, uh, the way that this is stated would help for the application of this. And it basically said this. That whenever the tide rises in the harbor, it doesn't just lift one boat. It lifts all boats that are resting upon the water. And so what I'm saying is this, whenever you add to, it's not just lifting one of those virtues or qualities. It's, it's lifting all those that's dependent upon that divine nature that is doing the propelling. Amen. It's not just one, but all rise with it or fall with it. Amen. Am I doing okay? You're making me hot. No, I'm all right. I'll survive. I'd rather sweat than freeze any day. Let me tell you, in Wyoming, it got 46 at night, and it got chilly. My wife was trying to buy a sweatshirt to keep warm, 30-some-odd dollars. I said, you could survive one night. <laughs> she took my jacket and left me coat. <laughs> I'll show you what survival looks like, she said. No, I wasn't that crude. She really wanted to have it, but we were kind of, we, we did a vote. We did a vote and just said, man. <laughs> it, it could go either way, you know. <sighs> so being that we've brought ourselves, and I've spent a lot of time in verse number five here, and that is the thrust of this God, God's part, our part, we'll be able to move quite swiftly through these next two verses in case anybody is worried. Faith. Add to faith. Faith, faith. faith is lived out. Faith works. We've, we've, um, we've leaned on James many times. Faith without works is dead. Well, if it's dead faith, then it is none. So faith plus works is a living faith. And so faith works. Faith, uh, the writer of the Hebrews, the great faith chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So that's where we start. Add to your faith. Hmm? Many times faith is the intangibles, but it's with the hope for it to be materialized. All right? But when we talk about faith, faith can be viewed through different aspects according to what the context is in Scripture. Faith might be your trust in God. People talk about their trust in God as being their faith. Do you have faith? Do you have trust in God? Faith can be looked at whenever you talk about the dogmas or the doctrines of the word of the Lord. A, a, a faith, you know, uh, uh, things like 
you know, baptism in Jesus' name and uh, the infilling of the Holy Ghost and all, that, that would be a faith. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That would be a faith. It would be the doctrines or the dogmas of the Bible. But whenever you set faith within a list of moral qualities, faith takes on another shade of more than just trusting God or dogmas and doctrines of the Bible. It takes on the concept of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Because our faithfulness should be and is to God. Right? That's where it's got to start. If you're not, if you have no faithfulness to God, forget about temperance and self-control and, you know, love. If you're not faithful to God, that's where it starts, faithfulness to God. And why do you think Peter is underscoring this? Because in the next chapter, as we'll soon see, he's going to be talking about a lot of people that are what? Not faithful. False teachers, false propagators, people that were at one time, but had slipped into an area of being unfaithful. And so he's saying, Add to your faith. This is where it starts. You got to be faithful. You got to be faithful to God. And, and without faith or without faithfulness to the one from whom all of these other things flow, right? Because he's the fountainhead for all these other things. Without faithfulness to him, then you can forget about the rest. What's the scripture say? We love and adore. Matthew 6, I think it's also in Luke. Now, seek. Ye first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other shall be. You all, you you guys read your Bible today, did you? Shall be added unto you. Now, for Matthew, that was clothing. For Matthew, that was food to eat, something to drink. But I believe it's also for our purposes if you'll, seek, if you'll be faithful to him, he'll add some things of temperance and knowledge and patience and charity. It'll be added as long as we are faithful to him. We must do our part. We, we must be faithful to him. And, and although, as I said, you know, in the beginning, maybe, these, maybe this list, they depend on one another. Maybe they don't. We have no certainty in, in, in either direction. And their order may be significant. Maybe it's not. But it's interesting to me that after you add to your faith, you add to your faith virtue. It's interesting that virtue follows faith or faithfulness. Because if you'll remember from last week, our definition, scriptural definition of virtue was the fulfillment of a thing. Or when a thing served its purpose, then it had virtue. You know, when the tool works like they say it works, it has virtue. It serves its purpose. And so virtue is this, maybe even more uh, detailed or more plainly spoken. Living a life that brings glory to God. So it's interest to me then that virtue is added to faithful or faithfulness. Because how can you bring glory to God and not be faithful? How can you serve your purpose and be detached from the purpose? Amen. And so, now whether they are a follower, whether there's any significance, I think you can see glimpses of significance sometimes uh, that there is that, that, that's there. And so then when we have that, then he says you add to your virtue, you're, to it, you're going to bring knowledge. That's the same knowledge we've been talking about for the past two weeks. What type of knowledge is that? It's the knowledge that we live out in our lives. Knowledge that we live out in life. Because you can't fulfill your purpose until you live it out. Huh? You cannot totally fulfill your purpose until you live it out. 
through experience, have knowledge based upon a first-hand experience. Because there are people you come to, you come to certain Christians, what do they tell you? I know that I know that I know that my God is good, and they start telling you the story. Huh? You can't tell me any different. What are they saying? That's not head knowledge saying that. That is, I got first-hand experience. Oh, that y'all, y'all don't have anything real. Oh, oh you can't tell me that oh, you come too late. Because back in 19, whatever, right? Back in 1987, when I was an eight-year-old boy, I remember saying those words, God, I need you. I'm a low-down, good-for-nothing sinner at an eight-year-old. And I felt tongues of fire fall upon me. And I spoke in a tongue that I did not learn from my parents. You come too late to tell me it's not real. As the old song used to say, it's real. It's real. It's real. I know it's real. This Pentecostal blessing, I know why. Because I have a first-hand knowledge. People can argue theology with you. They can argue opinion with you. But they cannot argue your personal experience with you. Because nobody knows like you know what God has done for you. Hallelujah. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Add to your knowledge, verse number six, temperance. What's another word for temperance? Self-control. Add to your knowledge, temperance, self-control. Control of what? It's quite a broad brush. Control of your passions. Control of your appetites. Maybe that does and doesn't include food in a literal sense. Control your thoughts. Your deeds. That temperature self-control is, is the power or dominion over oneself. The power or dominion over one's self. Look, and this is back in an era years ago. And this is like common thinking and knowledge of mankind. Aristotle said, the unrestrained man does things that he knows to be evil. Under the influence of passion, whereas the self-restrained man, knowing that his desires are evil, refuses to follow on them based upon principle. Yeah, he's not, he's not one of the 12 apostles. All right? He's just a real man living in a real world that just by observation of mankind, says when you leave man unrestrained, he's going to do that which nature has driven him to do. Evil, corrupt, wicked things. He says, but when there's self-restraint, what self-control, temperance, says then he can refuse that because he knows there's a principle. This is not going to lead to a good place. This is not going to have a healthy benefit. Right? We know that, don't we? We know if we just, <laughs> the, really the phrase let go and let God sometimes can have a bad connotation. Because we're wanting God's part, and none of us have to do with our part. Everybody that wants God to fight their battles and then sit in the stands and watch Him do it. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Amen. Sometimes the Lord fighting your battles is Him empowering you to do it. So, He's speaking about this temperance, purposeful, 
purposeful Peter is in doing this list of qualities. Because the next chapter, as well, so you keep saying that, well, just read it. Just read the next chapter. You know, you know, go on and spoil it for yourself, okay? Go on and read the next chapter. Because he's saying all this about temperance and self-control. Because when we start to look in chapter number two, you know what's happening with these folks? They lack self-control. They lack temperance. They have passions and appetites and thoughts and de- deeds that have no restraints on them. It's free for all. The Bible speaks of, I just went through chapter 2 just real quickly, and I just wrote down some of the things where I see where temperance is lacking. The Bible says that they are covetous, these people. It says that they walk after the flesh, that they are self-willed. Now, how much more do you have to be without self-control when you're self-willed? They have eyes full of adultery. Taking somebody else's mate. That's a pretty big chunk of <clears throat> no temperance. They allure, the Bible says, through the lust of the flesh. They have wantonness. Desire, desire, wantonness. <laughs> you all right, Dixie? She's awake now. You want to come up here and help me? No, just joking. <laughs> if you could mimic what I just did. No, I'm joking. <clears throat> no one can do that. It's, it's just a gift. Whew, so powerful. <laughs> so what you add to our temperance, add to our temperance patience. Now, the word patience there is in our King James Version. Probably even a more detailed translation would be that we need to add to our temperance endurance. Because there's a little stronger meeting between patience and endurance. Endurance gives us the concept and idea that we got to be faithful during some difficult times. Hmm. Uh, you know, that ability to hold on when things are tough. You know, tying the knot at the bottom of the rope, so to speak. That, that bearing up under the load whenever we're faced with, with difficulty that seems to never, in our opinion at that time, never go away. Why do they going to need endurance? Again, chapter 2. This is God's part, our part in chapter 2. <laughs> Amen. Because there's, those false teachers are going to try to draw away people that are faithful to God. They're going to try to draw away a following. They're going to try to draw away a people. And so what are they going to be? They're going, these people they are trying to live right are going to be accosted by the false. And if they don't have endurance... To be able to bear up under the load, huh, of someone that's vying for their attention. Because here's the fact of the matter, and Timothy spoke of this. Timothy spoke that in the last days there would be people that would, had been in the church that then become false prophets and false teachers. And because they had popularity when they were in the church, when they stepped out of the church, their voice would have a lot of clout to it. A lot of influence. Because they were respected when they were in the church. See, because if I, Brother Terry, if you're a notable person in the church and, and I can put faith in you and stockpile some faith in you when you're in the church and I think you're the best thing since sliced bread. If you fall out of the church and say something, even though it might go against to what I was taught, see, I've made a marriage to your personality rather than a marriage to him. And I'll easily follow you because I made a relationship with you as in the church and I thought you was all that and a side of fries. And whenever you step outside the church, I think, well, he can't be wrong. I'm going to need some endurance 
that says, I don't need to go that way. I don't care how good of a person he seemed when he was in the church. He's not what he was. I got to stay connected to the divine nature, not a human nature. Me, man. And folks, you can look at it over your shoulder, maybe in your lifetime. You have seen people that's been in the church, got out of the church. They took a bunch of people with them because they... They had the respect. And I believe we should be respectful of one another. And pastors and evangelists, oh, we should be respectful. But not to the point where we will reject truth. You've heard me. Follow me as I follow Christ. But if you ever see Paul not following Christ, don't follow me. Amen. So we got to have endurance because they're, they're going to be combating the pool of personalities that have went and went awry and been swayed and then we add to our patience or add to our endurance godliness we've already seen this word once all things pertain to life and godliness. godliness loyalty to god godliness reverence for god here's the big one it's reverence for god to the extent of submission to god because our reverence to god is hypocritical if we're not submitted to god hear me our reverence for him is hypocritical it's fake if we're not submitted to him so godliness is our reverence for god to the extent of being submitted to the god we are revering in a simple definition it means this it means living a life this is very simple godliness living a life that is like god or living the kind of life that pleases god godliness add to your endurance add to that godliness look at the scripture i gotta go don't i first timothy 4 7 i said i want to go take long and i'm dragging my feet i need to have diligence i didn't have diligence <laughs> first timothy 4 7 but refuse profane and old wives fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness for bodily exercise profiteth little doesn't say it doesn't profit at all it just says it doesn't profit as much as especially in the realm of the spirit but godliness is profitable unto all things. Shoo, that's pretty important. Having promise of the life that now is mm, and of that which is to come. Oh, that's a big slice of pie right there. Godliness, living life, the kind of life that pleases God. And look at now, even here in Timothy, Paul says, it has not just promises for the life that is now, but the life that is to come. Wow, that kind of sheds light again on, on, on Peter saying that we need to give diligence to these things. In verse number 5, in the list that follows, but also the diligence that he spoke of in verse number 10, that we would make our calling and our election, be diligent to make your calling and your election sure. Why? Because many of these things that you are practicing now, have bearing on the then. We talked about that just a little while ago. And so here, diligence aids in making our calling and our election sure, not just the life now, but the life that is to come. Whenever we practice or add to or allow to flourish and surface in our life, godliness, acting like, amen, acting in such a way that pleases the Lord. And we're going to add to our godliness, brotherly kindness. Everybody say, I love you, brother. Thank you. I love you all too. It's the fraternal, the fraternal love. It's a love that, brotherly love is a love that happens between family members. Extended to each other. It's not a love that is necessarily described as 
that extends outside of the family. It's within the context of the family. And we're not talking about just McGee's here, okay? We're talking about family members are, members are created by the new birth experience. Whenever you're born again, you become part of the family that I was born again of. We've all been adopted by the same spirit, been baptized into the same body, right? There's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, male or female, right? Because we've all been baptized into the same spirit. We all became a part of the same family. And so we're, he says you're to add to all this brotherly kindness. There needs to be that, that, that show of love and compassion toward each other within the family of God. That's important. Uh, we, we are to show that for sure to those that are of the household of faith, the scripture said. Show it to all, but especially, he said, of those that are of the household of faith. Why? Here we go again. Chapter 2. That's, going to be, that's just going to be the phrase for a while we're in this. You just look at somebody and say, chapter 2. <laughs> chapter 2. Because the heretics of chapter 2, they're going to be trying to dismember the family. Yeah. They're going to be trying to dismember the family of God. And there's going to be many, according to chapter 2, that's going to follow their ways. And look, this is what this is chapter 2, verse 14. I'll give you an exact verse on this one. It says it's going to be trying to beguile, note the wording, unstable souls. It's going to try to beguile unstable souls. Even like in the Old Testament, what is it? Where they had their marching order many times, it was the weak and the faint that was in the back of the marching order. Because they wanted there to be certain levels of protection because they knew the enemy was what? He's going to prey upon those that are weak. And he's going to prey upon those that are wounded. And he's going to prey upon those that are sickly. So they want to put some lines of defense between them and the enemy. Well, the enemy of chapter 2 is no different. He's looking for the unstable. He's looking for the ones that ain't sowed out. He's looking for the ones that's half on one side, half on the other, riding the fence. He's looking for people that ain't totally convicted about their experience. And so with all this being said, he said, we, we got to have this. We had to have this brotherly kindness. It's got to it's got to be within the church. But then he says to the brotherly kindness, we got to add charity. That agape love of God, that unconditional love of God. And love is not passive. According to the word of the Lord, love is not passive. Paul even denoted in scripture and I'm coming to close. Stand with me. Paul denoted in scripture. That it's not, it's not passive. The Bible speaks that Paul spoke of love as laboring. Love is laboring. Love, you can read it in 1 Thessalonians 4. Love is actively seeking the benefit of others. And it's desiring to increase more and more. What's the Bible say in, in uh, Corinthians? Now, there remain of faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these three is charity. It is a large. And if you look at those last two, because remember, this thing was supposed to be like a ladder. That, that, that ebb and flow. Da, 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 to a climax of love. And the last two, brotherly kindness, then love. We almost got a loving the neighbor, loving your God scenario right here in the last two. But there's this love. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about if you speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not. Charity talks about you can prophesy. Uh huh. You can do all these tremendous things concerning working in the gifts of the spirit. But if you don't have love, he said, it's nothing. He said, it's nothing. It's kind of real empty. It's real void without love. So we're on a journey. The divine nature, 
beginning in faith, substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, materializing through a succession of steps of some qualities that's just a sampling of what we need to get to the epitome of love, and God is love. And whenever we get to that point, we have become the nature of who he is. We've become the nature of who he is. But God has a part, and we got a part. Me saying all that and everything we went through tonight is by no means hinting at a fact that this is a works-based salvation, by no means. But it's as Ephesians says that we have been saved by grace through faith, but we have been saved for the purpose of good works. If you read verses 19 and 11, that we are saved for the purpose of good works, and that's the outworking of these things that we have received in our life to become Christians, godly people, Amen. That's in alignment with what the Lord would desire of his church. Because God has, we know this, right? God has in his mind what he wants his church to be like. Without spot, wrinkle, any such thing. Those are, you know, it's kind of like, it's kinda, I mean, it's just kind of like the, 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 the groom and bride or the boyfriend, girlfriend thing. You know, the guy knows what he's looking for in a gal. Huh? And I hope she knows what she's looking for in a husband. But he's got his list, you know, without spot, without wrinkle. He has a concept. Uh-huh. And if Sister, Sister Jessup, if I desire to be his, then I'll acquire the attributes that he's looking for. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I come to you today. I'm so thankful, Lord, for you. I'm thankful, God, for the part, Lord, that you have played in my life. But, God, I do not want, Lord Jesus, Lord, to take that and believe I'm going to sit along the sidelines and just be on the receiving end of God. Lord Jesus, you gave, Lord, all things, Lord, but I must give diligence. I must be, Lord Jesus, hasty. I must be, Lord, diligent, Lord, about these things. Lord, to allow them, Lord, to surface in my life, in my Christian life. I need them, Lord. God, it's going to be benefit, Lord, not just to people who observe it, but it's going to be beneficial to me in my own life. God, it's going to help me with my walk. It's going to help me, Lord Jesus, with the success of my talk and my daily, Lord, interactions. It's going to keep me, Lord God, from the voices of error, Lord, that is around about me. It's going to keep me from being pulled, Lord, to a debauchery, Lord Jesus of untruthfulness I pray oh God it's going to help me in the here and now and it's going to help me in the there and then I pray oh Lord it'll help Lord make my calling and my election sure steadfast stable Lord I pray oh God today be with your people this week God I pray Lord keep your hand of protection upon them God let their bodies be of good health give them strength Lord Jesus as well God bring us back at the appointed time on Sunday and we will worship magnify and glorify your name again Lord Lord help us Lord God I pray Lord it's you working in us to will and to do your good pleasure let that be worked out in our life God by our submission to the spirit that we've received in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen the church say amen amen God bless you read chapter 2 thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.